I've been in prayer this, this week, uh, really developing a, a third installment on um, the, the message relating to the fear of the Lord. Um, but in the process, I feel prompted to uh, let that rest a little bit because something that began almost like just a meditation for my personal life, um, clearly the Lord began to nudge and direct that a portion of it be shared uh, with the body this morning. And that is what I would like to uh, draw our attention towards. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is where we will go just now. Ecclesiastes 9. Everybody say Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I know, I expected that. Many, many people <laughs> struggle with, uh, uh, with that word. Some say Ecclesiastes. You can just say Ecclesiastes. Choir, thank you for that powerful ministry. Amen. Uh, uh, a big hand for them. We, we appreciate that message. It's hard to ask people to clap. I'm sorry. Sometimes we ask you to clap and you're holding Bibles and you say, Bishop. All right, verse number 11. I have seen something else under the sun. The rest is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Uh, excuse me. There's an opportunity to deal. There seem to be some bees around. These are were very rich perfumes in the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's, let's just live with them. If you see it around here, um, this time I will not be bothered. So let me start again. <laughs> I have seen something else under the sun. The rest is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. Now, there are many layers there. And you might begin to wonder, where do I rank? Am I among the swift, the strong, the wise, the brilliant, or the learned? Take your pick. <coughs> And the Bible says, but time and chance happen to them all. Which ones? All the five listed here. The swift, the strong, the wise, the brilliant, and the learned. All the five layers or clusters. The Lord had blessed in the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your most holy word. I ask that you will direct our thoughts now and the proclamation of what you have given. Be able to meet the needs of your people. We seek these mercies and blessings through Jesus our Lord and our Savior with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. Most likely, I will do about three sessions uh, for, for this teaching. So let's start with this first installment. Did you know 
that Thomas Edison, who was thought by many to have had the highest IQ in the last 1,000 years, was actually dismissed from school because his teacher said he did not possess the intelligence to succeed academically. Did you know that Albert Einstein couldn't read until he was seven years old and that he was still considered a slow learner in high school? Did you know that Winston Churchill was last at the very bottom of his class in school? Yet he developed a remarkable vocabulary that led him to become one of the greatest orators of all time. In fact, other than Shakespeare, uh, who in literature is revered for the lingua, uh, the language, the English language, for prominent figures, in the United Kingdom, it is said that uh, Winston Churchill became such a compelling orator that he's literally been uh, incomparable. Now, these three names that I've mentioned could rank anywhere in the five levels that we talked about as we read the verse. I don't know how, where you would rank Either Winston Churchill, Thomas Edison, or Albert Einstein. Would you rank them as swift, strong, wise, brilliant, learned? Take your pick. But clearly, the fact that I could just mention them, as I have done now, without much elaboration, tells me that almost everyone here It's quite familiar with these names and the things that they have achieved. So, if this could be the moment for you, where would you rank yourself? And what are you utilizing to rank yourself? Your last grade in school? Your certificates? Your general educational performance? All those things are useful. And yes, you may actually use them to sort of rank yourself as to where you belong in society. Some of you are using maybe just your profession. And for some of you, the job that you're doing today you're thinking you're where you are at because you didn't do as well as you were supposed to do at school. And in some cases, that is true. But in many cases, that is also not true. Because I've just read for you three people here. If Winston Churchill was to remain with the fact that he was at the bottom of the class, you and I would not have known his name. So something changed for Winston Churchill somewhere. If Thomas Edison had settled simply for the assessment of the teacher who thought that he was not intelligent enough to be able to perform well academically, we would not be where we are at today with the inventions that he brought. What do you think of when you think of Thomas Edison? The light bulb invented by somebody who was told 
He was unintelligent. And was not academically up to the grade. We know the story of Albert Einstein. Apart from his thesis, having been trashed, never learned how to read till he was seven years old. If he settled there, we would not have the unique truths that we now know in physics and the things that we have all gained. This verse that we have read today from the book of Ecclesiastes is an important question for us to consider in life in regard to life's opportunities. So today, I want to discuss life's opportunities and how you can be able to make the most of them. My understanding is that these names I have mentioned to you met their level of success by simply making the most of the opportunities they were given. When Thomas Edison felt he had been written off, he saw an opportunity. When Winston Churchill felt he had been written off, he took to learning, literary learning, and memorizing vocabulary. What will you do with the opportunities that God has placed in your hands? So let me start there. Even the job that you feel is middle or low level because you think you didn't have the right qualification or a high enough qualification to be ranked higher or placed higher in society. And I must ask, placed higher by who? You say, oh no, by my employer. But that's a problem. Because now you are locking your very destiny to the wishes of your employer. And the employer plays a big role. But does the employer, your employer, really hold the destiny to your life? But your current employment is an opportunity. That's where I want us to begin. The place where you are in life, wherever you are at, whether in school, whether unemployed, or self-employed, wherever you are at in life, I want us to describe where you are at as the opportunity of a lifetime for you. Are we together? So which means, Literally, everybody listening to me and everybody looking at me right now has an opportunity. So the question is, what will you do with the opportunity that you have? What have you done with the opportunity that you have? Let me broaden it with the opportunities that you have. So I have a very simple set of thoughts to share with us. Like I told you, this began as a meditation. And then during this week, I just sensed the Lord directing me to develop it further so that we could share some thoughts together here. In order for us to make the most of the opportunities we have, let's look into the heart of the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. Because this man, well, we believe it's a man, this author took to that route of examining the opportunities of life and trying to get down to the bottom of why God was allowing the things that he allowed him to experience. So next slide. 
understanding Ecclesiastes. I want us to begin there. Two things about Ecclesiastes. First, the book of Ecclesiastes, we can understand, puts human wisdom to the ultimate test. Because in chapter 1, verse number 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. So we know that the most probable author, son of David, it has to be Solomon. The words of the teacher. Other versions say the words of the preacher. Son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He says, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning to its, onto its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its feel of hearing. What has been will be again. <laughs> Fairly philosophical. What has been will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. It's amazing. Amazing depths. So, what's happening there are two things. Number one, this author puts human wisdom to the ultimate test of purpose. It's the question of purpose. Why are we here? He's asking those questions. Why are we alive? Why is God giving us the opportunity or the opportunities of life? Why? The second thing that we need to bear in mind in understanding Ecclesiastes is that it is a book that examines human experience and its limitations especially when life excludes God from the equation. So, the long and short are found in those two statements. And when you have chance to study this tomorrow in the live groups, it will be important to start there and explore the opportunities which God has given to you. Maybe we should take one step more and examine that word meaningless. In understanding the book of Ecclesiastes, the word meaningless has to be captured. And the word meaningless derives from a Hebrew word havel. And interestingly, that word havel is very close, is almost the same as the, 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 the word that comes through as the name Abel. Um, very interesting there, because many scholars link that to the life that uh, uh, Abel uh, in the early chapters of Genesis became. Not a big issue. But it's the word Havel, and the word Havel means vapor or breath. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is used metaphorically. So it's a metaphor. And um, you find that there are other expressions in terms of translation that bring this same word as vanity. So that is why in other versions you find the preacher saying vanity of vanities, 
all is vanity. Is that word havel? But I'm interested this morning in looking at its plural. The plural meaning of it, havelim, literally means vapor of vapors. And you know the reality about vapor is the actual process of evaporation. Doesn't stay. It's here now and it's gone the next minute. And according to the preacher, that is the summary of life. Especially when it is lived in exclusion from God. That it becomes meaningless. So when he goes down the line, in chapter 1, he actually says he tried wisdom. It was meaningless. And this is a clear description of the fact that Solomon, who we believe is the author here, had a season when he literally pulled away from God and, and, and um, fell back. And, and literally tested every bit of pleasure with all the money that he had. And came to the conclusion. He who began by saying everything is meaningless. In chapter 12 as he concludes the, the, uh, the book. He comes to the conclusion. Chapter 12 verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. For before the days of trouble. And the years approach when you will say I find no pleasure in them. And right at the end of that chapter, the words of the wise are like gods. They are collected saying like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Warned my son, be warned my son, he says, of anything addition, in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. Much study, where is the body? Uh, you remember the guys in school? who read this, and they quit school. <laughs> Two guys in our days quit school and said, too much study is a weariness of the flesh. And they literally quit. <laughs> yeah. Verse 13 says, now all has been heard. Are you following with me? <laughs> Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So he who began by saying meaningless, everything is meaningless, reaches the conclusion, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So in one sense, this is almost like still in a portion or a sequel or some relatedness to our teaching, which I felt... Uh, that uh, the Lord was directing me to set aside uh, for a while, but some are still related. So in this journey, if you follow from chapter 1, Solomon says wisdom is meaningless. In chapter 2, he tried pleasures, he concludes pleasures are meaningless. In chapter 3, we know the famous verse, for everything there is a season, he talks about everything that humans do as meaningless. In verse 18, he say, I say to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like animals. Like the animals. Surely, the fate of humans is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Again, that word, uh, havel, breath. And, and, and the idea of uh, meaninglessness. All have breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. Again, he reaches that conclusion. Verse 20. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust or return. Who, who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animals goes down into the earth. Very philosophical. Verse 22, so I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, 
because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? In chapter 4, he looks at the issue of oppression, toil, and friendlessness. He arrives at the conclusion, everything is meaningless. In chapter 5, he picks on riches. He says even riches are meaningless. In chapter 6 and 7, he goes back to wisdom and shows how human wisdom still has a limit. In chapter 8, then he says, because he was a king, he says, well, but at least you've got to be able to obey the king. So in chapter 8, verse 2, he says, obey the king's command. I say, because you took an oath before God, do not be in a hurry to live in the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases, since the king's word is supreme. King's word is supreme. Who can say, what are you doing? So this gentleman is, is dilating, he's going everywhere. But you can understand, he had been at a very high level in life. Then he comes to chapter 9. In chapter 9, he now discusses what he calls, what is called the common destiny of mankind. That is why I have begun there. Because in chapter 9, he now discusses these common questions where he is saying, all of us have an opportunity. All of us have opportunities. The question is, what are we doing with those opportunities? So chapter 9, verse 11, has been popularized by many, but sometimes people even preach this out of context because they don't understand. What's worse is what is in chapter 10. Because chapter 10, verse 19, remember, is that verse that many people have popularized, where they say money answers everything. Money answers everything. But let me share with you that the context there is not making a statement of value to say that money indeed is the most important thing in life, because that's how it's been expressed. So I have heard people making messages, you know, this, you can do all things, but money answers everything. Say it after me, money answers everything. Say it again, money answers everything. Come with me to chapter 10, verse 18. I want to put that into context, and then we begin to make our applications for the specific verses we are dealing with here. And I hope that this helps to build um, a broader context to the book of Ecclesiastes. Otherwise, it's so, such an, um, an easy book to manipulate. When people pick up one verse and form a doctrine. But you have to understand that this man was on a journey. So if you just pick one of his statements and run with it, you'll be making a major mistake. He was on a journey. He was trying everything, literally everything. And now he had reached a conclusion. Chapter 10. <laughs> Amazing. Let's begin at verse 18. He says, Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And some people say, oh yeah, so let's drink wine because life makes, makes life merry. By the same token, they said, and money is the answer for everything. Well, he was not stating this now as a, a principle and value for life to say we must go out there and believe that money really literally answers everything. Today, the, the equivalent colloquial expression today to that particular statement would be like the statement we use once in a while. Money talks. Does money talk? Yes. When we say money talks, what do we mean? We mean that people use money to influence decisions, to influence other people. Is that right? No. That's what this statement is about. This statement is simply indicating the fact that it is, it is possible. Yes, money is powerful. But we can't 
settle there and just say money answers everything. And so people have gone and run after wealth. And take note in chapter 10, chapter 9 and verse number 11, there is a question there that we are handling. The rest is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth for the, to the brilliant. So there are some people who have gone basically for wealth of all kinds, including money. Because they believe money answers all things. There are some things money cannot buy. So to that, state, to that extent, money does not answer everything. It's a relative thing. So young ladies, I know money talks and you want a man with money. It may be okay to have a man with money, but there are men and women with money today whose hearts are as hollow as anything you could think about. Because money does not really answer everything. So this thing has got to be qualified. You can't use this and make it like a principle for life. But that is an example of a statement in the book of Ecclesiastes that has been misapplied. That statement simply means the fact that in the context of these searches for life, there are people that Solomon was describing that have settled at simply saying, drink wine, be merry. You have money, money answers everything. Meaning you use your money to solve all your problems. To call this one, send that one, uh, engineer this one, manipulate that one, sit on this one, oppress this one, and so on. And some people have used money for that. And the preacher is saying, that is not what life is about. Read on in verse number 20. Do not revile the king in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom. Because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Lots of euphemisms he's using. I hope this helps. Put these things into perspective. So even when you have money, let me say it in essence by what we are talking about today. Even when you have money, it's an opportunity. So what we are saying is that what are you doing with that money? When you use it in the ways that we've described here, which are wrong, it means you are wasting that opportunity. When you are without money, what have you done? If you let that condition or state of being without money oppress you to a level where you now hate everybody with money and now you, you repel everybody that appears to have what you don't have, then you have also lost that opportunity. So let's come back to verse number 11 and begin to make some... Um, First a summary, and then I'll draw some lessons shortly. So with everything said here, the summary of the entire book of Ecclesiastes is as follows. Ecclesiastes, and many scholars will tell you that this, this, this is the crux of the matter. Ecclesiastes provides instructions on how to live life meaningfully. Number one, purposefully. Number two, and joyfully. By placing God at the center of one's life, work, and activities. That's the summary of Ecclesiastes. Which also means like we talked about that issue of money, which means when you place money at the center, you've lost it. You've just misapplied that opportunity. So Ecclesiastes provides that lesson for all of us in this life. How to live life meaningfully. How to live life purposefully. 
how to live life joyfully. And how to do so by placing God at the center of your life, your work, and your activities. Beloved, if we can settle it there, we'll have done it for life. Hallelujah. We'll have done it for life. That is the summary of the book of Ecclesiastes. So having established that, I have picked out just four very simple lessons from verse 10 and verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 9. And I want us to use those lessons for where God is taking us next. And this, for me, is a very simple approach for how to make the most of the opportunities that you have in life. Number one. Number one. So we're back in verse 10 and 11. I'm now including verse 10 because of context. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Then verse 11, he says, I have seen something else. Now for him to come and say, I have seen something else, it is because there are many things he has seen, including this whole issue of money that we just talked about. So he says, I've seen something else. And in verse 11, literally, you're looking at the center of the truths that we have just explained. That verse is expressive of exactly what we said is the summary of uh, Ecclesiastes. So he says, the race is not to the swift. The battle to the strong. And like I said, there are five layers there. The swift, the strong, the wise, the brilliant, the learned. When you talk about the swift, you're thinking about those who, for instance, in a race, who can run fast. If you're watching the, um, the races, the athletic races, uh, this past week, one Norwegian young man shocked the whole world. Because all these years, the record for the 1,500 meters has been held by our brothers from the highlands in Kenya. Did, you, did any of you watch what happened last week? Oh man, you're missing something. So as they came towards the last, the last curve to finish that 1,500 meters, this Norwegian fellow stepped up and passed both Kenyans. And you know, being an African, I was saying, ah... No, I'm, I'm telling you. That was my feeling. Eh, eh? I said, ah, what's happening now? But this Norwegian kept going. And the gap was growing and growing. And in, he beat that, his own personal record. And he's now the world champ for 1,500. The rest is not for the swift. The swift ones, in my view, were those Kenyans because we've known them. And there's always two or three. Number one, Kenya. Number two, Kenya. Then all the others follow. <laughs> Ethiopians, yes. Yeah, no, we have family there, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the principle here is that it's not always what you are expecting. If 90% of the time this is what you expect. There is room for that 10% where the odds are lying. This is what the verse is talking about. It's a question of addressing the odds. And I'm saying to you, when the odds of life are placed together, 
Lesson number one. God, God-given opportunities are available to all. That's lesson number one. Hallelujah. God-given opportunities are available to all. They're born again and they're not born again. They're available to all. That's the lesson. So listen, I want to talk very directly to us. Sometimes we place too much hope and reliance upon uh, systems, political systems. Sometimes we are blaming government for everything. We're expecting too much. Let's be fair. Let's be fair with government. Sometimes we expect too much from them. Yet what government does normally is just create room for opportunities. And it's for you to seize those opportunities. So if you, if you operate the way I see us operating here in Zambia sometimes, we have politicized everything. You know, this thing will impact you to a level where you are unable to perform. Because you think you have the wrong man in state house. You have the wrong man, the wrong MP, the wrong this. And you fail to move. And you're now thinking, next elections. But what are you about? You're not about elections. At every stage, the people we elect are simply there as facilitators. To create room for opportunities. The real player is you. And that is why we must talk less. Zambia, we talk too much. Every Tuesday and Friday, let the people talk. We are on the radio for two hours. We talk too much. And we are wasting opportunities. Ah, Ambassador, good to see you. I, like, I can talk about this because I know you are one person whom I have seen in life really making use of opportunities. I've listened to your thinking. I've heard you talk, but I've also watched your life. There is one woman. She's got all the education that could be gotten. But if you want to talk to somebody practical, talk to Ambassador. Because see that they want to come. I've seen her take hold of opportunities and make use of them. So these God-given opportunities are for all. For all. I want to move on quickly. I mentioned the second thing. And so that is why the Bible says that the rest is not to the swift. Listen. There are people you have placed there. And you're always looking to see what they will do next. But what about you? What about you? Where are you at? You should be asking, what will I do next? So you're opening every morning, you will open your phone, you're watching Facebook to see what the postings are. You are following someone, there may be nothing wrong. I want to address the 10%, the odds. You are looking too much at the 90% of what you know, who's better, who's successful, who's making it, who's, and you place yourself in the 10% of the ones who are not making it. Today I want us to look at that 10% and we must address the odds. When the odds are placed out there, you must come out as the winner. Because opportunity is right before you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Number two, when he says, time, so time and chance happens to all. So God-given opportunities are available for everybody. Number two, this is very simple. Do not allow yourself to be a victim of circumstances. Let's move on to verse number 12 to pick that example. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. 
a fish caught in a cruel net. Sometimes you feel like that. You're in life. It's, it's, it's Monday morning. You are in your office. And you feel like you are this fish caught up in a, in a cruel net of your company. You don't like the boss. You don't like your workmate. You, some people have been told, and it may be true that some people are against you. They wrote a bad report. And you're in this cruel net. You're just like this fish. Or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times. And so you're feeling like a trapped. I have come with a word to speak to you. You are not a victim of your circumstances. So let me say this. Even when you feel that you're like a net, the fish caught up in a net. You know what I'm saying to you today? That's your opportunity. Ah, you didn't hear me. That's your opportunity. The net that you think you are caught in is your opportunity. I have come with a question. What are you doing with that opportunity? Because your destiny is not in that net. There is a God who can break that net. Last week we said, he says to us, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. When will that verse work for you? When will it work for you? So no one knows the hour, yeah? Fine. Fine. You're like, this fish caught up in a net. Well, you don't have to stay there. May God grant you grace to see that the net is being broken today in the name of Jesus. I have been sent to minister to you to understand that the worst moment of your life is your opportunity. All right. In case you missed it. In case you missed it. Let's go to Romans. Chapter 8. And verse 28. Let's begin reading from there. Quickly. And then I have two more to make and we'll be done. And we know. Okay. Now this is a different story. The preacher said no one knows. Hello? Remember the preacher is searching. He says no one knows the hour. But here we are being told and we because when you are in Christ you have a difference. And we know that in in God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. He also predestined. So you are that fish. Caught up in that net. For those whom he foreknew. He also predestined. I want you to know. That that net is not your destiny. It is a circumstance of the now. But I am saying to you, you cannot operate as one who is a victim of your circumstances. I am not denying the fact that you feel that way, that you are trapped and that people have been against you. That's a circumstance. We acknowledge it, but you cannot live there. I am wanting you to look at that net in which you think you are caught up as an opportunity. And what are we talking about today? Making the most of life. The opportunities of life. So, let's say that together. One, two, three. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Verse number 30. Verse number 30. 
Carry on. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Come on, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. There are some serious things there. First of all, there's a destiny over your life. And that, that is something you must know. Then there's a mention of the fact that apart from you being predestined, he has also called you. He's given you purpose. And the man here in the book of Ecclesiastes is exploring purpose and meaning for life. Now you in Christ already have that because Christ has given you that answer. He justified and glorified. That's an uplift. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to the net? What then shall we say in response to the net in which you are caught? What shall we say? What shall we say? In response to, to the boss that you think is always against you. What shall we say? Pray that he dies? No. <laughs> He's just given you an opportunity. God has used him to give you an opportunity for a job, unfortunately, which is the source of your oppression. That's why I'm saying it is your opportunity. Pray that he may live longer to see how God will resolve things for you. <laughs> Hallelujah! Don't sit there buying into this, this cheap stuff that says, talking uh, about praying dangerous prayers for people to die. That's cheap theology. It's not even sensible. What shall we say in response to these things? If God be for us, for you in the net, if God be for you in the net, who? Ah, come on. Oh, somebody shout, Hallelujah! If God be for you, come on, this has to work for you someday. And I've come to ask, why are you not patient enough to let this work for you? If No, no, come again. If God be for us, for me, who? Who? This means even if Mr. Putin came here. Ah, okay. Let me address that for a moment. This is a word for Africa now. Let me address that for a moment. I know that there are regions of Africa, such as the Horn of Africa, particularly Somalia, that have been fully dependent on grain from Ukraine and, and, and Russia. And the impact of that war is horrendous. But for the rest of Africa, free Africa. You and I cannot wait until that war is over in order to feed ourselves. So the Ukraine war is an opportunity. That's all I'm saying. It's an opportunity. You saw how the foreign minister of, um, of, of Russia spent time hopping around Africa. Why? That may be their foreign policy. They're renewing bilateral relations in some places and so on. But that has also got an agenda. And you and I must see the opportunity. Let me talk about Zambia. There's no reason why here we should be saying, you know, there's a war in Ukraine, so you know the price of wheat. And so, are you telling me? When we can, when we can grow wheat on our own here? Our price of wheat should not be dependent on that. We're able to grow it here. Sorghum is all weather. Cassava, we can grow that twice a year. And my brothers and sisters from up north, I have an issue there. 
So when I was in Kasama the other, the other week, and a few weeks ago, and the people from Chintobe and Tobe came to interview me, I talked about this. And I spoke in Bemba. You go, yeah, you can view it. I observed that Muchinga and Northern province, provinces receive 1,500 millimeters of rain every year with the potential to grow certain crops twice. Eastern province, which is one of the key provinces that feeds Zambia, gets only 300 millimeters of rain. So I said to my brothers and sisters up north, we can do better than this. All of us are Zambia. Northern and Muchinga should be the breadbasket for all of Zambia. And I remember the mayor of Kasama who came to open our agriculture conference. And by the way, you're wondering, what are we Pentecostals doing about agriculture? We are about transformation. We are about transformation. So she came and said, yeah, Bishop, because I'd been reading a scripture, says, a Bishop, I have to confess, I never knew that the Bible addressed things about land. And then she said, anyway, here, Bishop, in other words, she was really saying, I know you haven't seen any fields as you've been driving, but our fields, I mean, she was joking. She says, our fields are inside. So that became the joke of the conference. So, so we kept talking about the, the fields inside. I said, no, ten to we have an opportunity, Zambia. And the war in Ukraine should be an opportunity for us to grow our own food. It's an opportunity. That's all I'm saying. So when you think like that, you won't be wanting all the time to blame government. What is President HH doing? Ah, President HH is there just as a facilitator. You are the player. What are you doing with your opportunity? I know that the impact of those who lead us can be grave if they make the wrong decisions. That's granted. But the opportunity is before you. Look at Congo. And the way the world is speaking. Last week I made reference to Congo. And the mineral manipulation that has gone on. In the past week, I'm a keen follower of current events. I'll be making my, my last two points shortly. Last week, Congo was in the news because there is a particular rainforest area where they are seeking to redemarket and they are seeking to uh, do some oil mining. So explorations have gone on. So there was a reporter from CNN this past week that was speaking to uh, the ambassador of, of Congo in, in that particular country, and was saying, look, the world is in uproar. How about the, uh, the degradation of the environment in that region, because there's a national park, and so on, and well, you know, how, how are you going to work this out? So this foreign minister responds and says, look, we have done our mining mapping, our agricultural mapping, environmental mapping, and we've got data, so we know that some, some of the areas we have mapped might overlap slightly into the park, but it says we are abiding by the, the Paris agreements and making sure that by, you know, he gave a time, 20%, we'll make sure that we meet our 20% um, uh, target for what we must do in reducing on, uh, on emissions and, and the like, those things that, that go on to uh, injure the environment. So he made that, but I said to myself, he made that response, but I said to myself, ah, the world now is concerned that the rainforest in Congo, which are just beginning to be explored, will now take away so much and bring about so much destruction that the environmental disaster that's going on will be made worse in light of climate change. That's what she was talking about. Now they can say that about Congo. How about the emissions in China? How about the emissions in America? How about the emissions in Europe? Come on, let's be fair. 
But you see, people can say that about us because they don't realize we are not making use of our opportunities. And for me, kudos to Congo because Congo is making use of that opportunity. Yeah! They want to turn the fortunes around. You can talk about those rainforests. There are other rainforests elsewhere. The Amazon. How much destruction has happened in the Amazon? And who talks? But today the world must talk because it's happening to Africa. I hope you can understand that you are a key person in this life and that you matter where God is concerned. So Africa can no longer cry about being a victim of colonialism. And no, 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 no. We are past that. It's our time now. Hallelujah. Now I could preach all day on this one. I hope, I hope you've got the point. Amen. Right. Number three. Your net must be broken. Oh, no, 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 no. Before we go to number three, we have to finish that quickly and then I'll do number three and four. Yeah. Verse number 32. We just have to do that. Then we'll finish and go to number three and four. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also alone with him graciously give us how many things? How many things? So everything is there for the taking. You are God's child. It's your opportunity. Amen. Okay, lesson number three and four, and we finish shortly. Lesson number three. So when the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, in verse 10, do it with all your might. The suggestion there is simply take responsibility. Whatever your hand finds to do. Do it with all your might. Take responsibility. That's why I'm saying, I'm not trying to acquit our government leaders. That's why I'm saying, while they are there, and they are there for us, I am saying, take responsibility. You can't be blaming your political leaders all the time for things that you can change. Take responsibility. The rest is not for the swift. Today, you are the swift one. The battle is not for the strong. Today, you are in the 10%, the strong one. Food does not come to the wise. Today, you are the wise one. No wealth to the brilliant. Today, show the brilliance by breaking that net in the name of Jesus. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm where you're going, there's neither planning, no, no knowledge, no wisdom. Lesson number four, quickly. And I said it at the beginning. Bless God back at the center. So I already read from, Hebrew, from uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I read verse 1 to 3. I also read the last four verses, the last three verses, showing clearly that God says we must remember him, must fear him. For this is the whole duty of man. We must place God at the center. The challenge I see today for all of us is that in a very subtle manner, we are experiencing, in a very clear manner, we are experiencing the subtle nature of our professions, the subtle nature of our commitments and the demands of life. And those demands of life are eating away on our lives, they are eating away on, on our on our activities, they're eating away at the very center. When those things eat away that vitality, then the net looks unbreakable and then the net looks inescapable. 
But when you place God where you must place him, at the center, if God, see that's easier said than done, if God be for us, who? It's very simple. But it's a very subtle and elusive area. It's easier said than done. And it comes through because the temptation is high to focus on just your job and the things that appear to matter. And in this past week, the Lord led me through this meditation, which of course has come as the first portion of this teaching here today. And I want us to start there as we explore. These God-given opportunities are available to all of us. I have come with a core and a burden to encourage you not to be a victim of your circumstances. I have come with God's unction to remind you it is time as God's child to take responsibility. And part of taking responsibility is blessing God. Back at the center. It's easier said than done. And as you place him at the center, the opportunity of either your difficult circumstances or your good circumstances can be captured properly. And you will agree with me, the rest is not for the swift or the battle, the strong. Nor does food come the wise, the wealth to the brilliant, the favor to the learned, time, chance, simply stated, opportunities happen to all. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What shall separate us from the love of God? Let's go to the last part of uh, Romans 8 now. What shall separate us from the love of God? Please rise. Please rise. 